0: You're listening to Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts. Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the President of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Welcome into the MMA Insiders Podcast right here on Radio Influence. Of course, I'm Jason Floyd of the MMAReport.com. Usually I am joined by Sam Kaplan. However, Sam Kaplan unable to do the show this week, so we got a special guest co-host, a guy that I think is one of the best reporters in all of mixed martial arts, John Nash. Of course, you want to follow him on Twitter. At Hey Not The Face. Of course, you can also catch all this workout bloodyelbow.com. Also, uh, if you're really interested to the business side of what's going on, in MMA does a, a little uh, video podcast called Show Money, which uh, is personally something that I always check out, always try to learn something new. But John, obviously you've been all over uh, the Ali Act and uh, the Fighters Association and, and I'm I want to kind of get your perspective on this. Do you kind of feel like those two stories are tied together, or are they two different stories? Uh,
1: I think they're actually very closely tied together. As much as they're presented as two different stories, they're it's they're very tightly wound together.
0: You know, it, it's 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 to me, it's it's two interesting stories because and, and you know I think that. You know, I get this question asked to me a lot. They say, you know, what what's gonna happen first if either one of them happen? They say, you know, over the next two years with the Ali Act happen, or or do we see a fire association? Is it wrong of me that I sit there and I lean towards a fighters association?
1: Uh no, I don't I don't think you're wrong at all. I think a fighter association is much more likely just because the way, you know, bills work in Congress and it's so easy to derail a bill. But uh, it's, you know, but who knows? At the same time, uh, I'm not 100% sold. I mean, I fight, let's let's say this, there is a fighters' association. There's there's actually several fighters' associations. Uh, a, being a fighter's association, you just have to put your name down some people sign up your fighters' association. What we're talking about is an effective fighters' association, yeah. one that actually has influence on the industry. That's what we're waiting for, and there's still, you know, I, I'm not – I think we are further closer to that than we've ever been in the sport. I think there's a lot of support for it, but that doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen.
0: You know, obviously, you know, everyone knows what Mark Hunt was saying, but I, I think one of the interesting things that I saw uh, a couple of days ago, and apparently this has been happening going on for one time, is, you know, when you talk about the, everyone that is supporting, uh, you know, a potential fighter association, typically it is fighters who are retired or no longer in the UFC, but, Cajun Johnson at UFC Lightweight. He, he actually just opened up uh, an affiliate TriStar gym in, in Vancouver. He's a part of this. And, you know, it, to me, that's kind of the, one of the, the most fascinating times because this, to me, from the, the business side of MMA, this is the most interesting time that we've ever seen in this business just because of, of these type of things that are going on, but also with the UFC ownership changing.
1: Yeah, I think, actually I think the ownership changing and that sales been a, a big motivating factor for a lot of fighters because they just saw the amount of money involved in the business. And it was just, you know, they've heard about the money. There's been stories about how much is paid out and how much the owners make. And everybody knew UFC was making money. But when you see a $4 billion figure, it finally hits you in the face that there's a lot of money in MMA, or at least in the UFC, a lot more than you're seeing. And I think that's why you're seeing so many fighters vocal. And besides Trajan, you know, and, and Leslie Smith is openly, you know, those are two fighters in the UFC that are openly vocal about being members of the uh, MMAFA, the Mixed Martial Arts Fighters Association, which is uh, probably the the most serious of the fighter people, the fighters associations out there. The, the other fighters have publicly said they're for fighters associations. Uh, Eddie Alvarez in an interview said that. Carlos Condit said that. Uh, Robbie Lawler said that. So it's, it's not just guys at the bottom. Now there's... I don't know if they've said they're members or they're joining or anything, but like Mark Hunt did. But there are other fighters in the promotion saying they would like to see a fighters' association.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I would wish we would hear more about. And look, and, and look, I am pro fighter. I, I want to see fighters get overpaid. I mean, there's, I mean, you, you know it just like I do it. There are some guys that have taken advantage of free agency. That are making much more money fighting in Bellator than the UFC was willing to offer him. Benson Henderson's one. Uh, you know, Matt Mitrione is another one. Who knows? Roy McDonald may be another one, even though, and I'll get your take on this. I kind of feel like Roy McDonald is trying to use Bellator to get what he wants from the UFC.
1: Oh, I, I definitely do. I mean, I think his dream would be to go back to the UFC, but, you know. But, it's a, I mean, it's a great option to have Bellator out there. Let's say UFC offers him $150K a fight, guaranteed, which is good money, you know, right now in MMA. And Bellator offers him 250 and UFC won't match. Well, if his manager can get him a three- or four-fight deal, he's still pretty young. Why not get that guaranteed money for a year, year and a half, and then renegotiate again after that?
0: At least, least you may the thing I wonder about Rory, though, I mean, and Henderson had that tagline of former UFC champion, and Rory doesn't have that tagline, and I kind of wonder how much that hurts him. And also I think that if you're Bellator and you want to get in the Roy McDonald business, I think that's got to mean that you want to get back into the Canadian MMA business.
1: Uh, it might be. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking they're trying to expand into new markets. I mean, you're, everybody's always looking for new markets to, you know, uh, maximize their profits. Uh, Their revenue sources. But uh, the the thing about Rory is I think he really kind of not lucked out, but he was really fortunate that Tyrone Woodley won. He has a victory over Tyrone Woodley. He has a victory Mm -hmm. over the current UFC champ that his I hope he didn't negotiate and sign anything before that Lawler fight over the weekend because his value went up a little bit with that, I think.
0: Yeah, it's it's just to me. It's and I've always said this. I mean, as a fighter, you can't find out what you're worth until you go on the market. I mean, it's you know, if you if you're only sitting there talking to the UFC, you can't find out what you're worth. I mean, and and I've seen and there's been some Bellator fighters that have ultimately resigned. I think the one that I am very fascinated to see happen, and and I think that I don't think he's going to sign an extension with Bellator before uh, his deal is up is Michael Page and what he potentially could be worth to the UFC. Yeah, unless yeah, might offer him such a lucrative deal,
1: that he's like, well, why take the risk? I have guaranteed money with Bellator, I'll sign it now, instead of fight, you know taking a risk on my next two or three fights and having something go wrong. That I could see. Uh, the thing about the free agency, though, I, I don't think we should exaggerate. There's free agent market in the sense that you can try the market and prove your, your current condition, but I don't think MMA is not a very healthy, strong free agent market. It's, mm-hmm. it's not... is an option, but bellator is not an incredible option and nothing to take away from bellator but this isn't like you were with top rank in boxing and you were making you know they're paying you a lot of money and going to put you on a pay-per-view and you decide to sign with Golden boy because they're going to give you a bigger cut of the pay-per-view there there is no options like that for for mma fighters outside the ufc if you're going to make the big 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 bucks you got to stay in the ufc and so they can they can dangle that in front of you so you're uh, Bellator gives you an option to get a little bit better money, but it's it's not the option. It, I don't want to exaggerate how good of an option it really is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that and look, and, and I th- obviously the the the, se- the sales pitch that's coming from Bellator to a free agent is about sponsors, but you know the 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 sponsor market MMA is not what it once was I, you know and i i've had conversations with people in the sponsorship game and you know a lot of them will say you know if you're getting in this business that you think you're going to make money on these fighters it, it's not but also I, I sometimes i get the sense that I, I think there's some fighters out there that almost kind of view like you know sponsors as charities, and that's not what they are. They're they're trying to make some type of money on this business, and you know it's to me it's it's always I guess I have found myself particularly since the Reebok deal came into effect of really looking at who is sponsoring Bellator fighters. Do they have a lot of sponsors? And and, you know, there's been times where you look at. Um, you know, Benson Henderson is a perfect example where if you go back to his Bellator debut, you look at his shorts. I think he only had one sponsor outside of of his gym. And and to me, that was kind of like really eye opening. Yeah, I mean, which is str- I mean, look at Matt Matron,
1: though, and he, he goes in and he was covered in sponsors when he went into yeah. Bellator. And so I was shocked that. Uh, unless, you know, whoever was paying Benson, if they paid for exclusivity that they, they wanted to be his only sponsor, but, uh, I'm shocked that he couldn't get more. Uh, I mean, that, that kind of surprised me that they couldn't get more sponsors for a guy. Cause you know, he's going to draw eyeballs. I mean, the, the sponsor market's dead, especially if you're not in the UFC. It's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think there's, there's value in being, everybody's always going to pay to get on someone's shorts on a fight that they think people would watch. And so if you're on a major UFC event or whatever, no matter even if you're not a big fighter, I think people would pay to get your their emblem on you just because they know a million through two, three million people might be watching on Fox and a big belter show. But for most fighters, you're not, you're not drawing that kind of audience. People well, aren't seeing it, you know.
0: I mean, the other thing is, and, and going to you know prior to the, to the Reebok deal, I mean, let's be honest about it. These sponsors were sponsoring these fighters because they're fighting in the UFC cage, and you yeah. know, and, and you know, and, and Bellator, they know this. I mean, sponsors don't view UFC and Bellator as equals. Yeah, there's a there's a prestige to
1: being the UFC, and it works both ways though. I mean, the UFC benefited uh, by having the fighters they had in their cage because people were tuning in to watch you know the big fights. You know, people tuned in to Fox to watch Rory McDonald versus Wonderboy Thompson. That was a big fight. They wouldn't have drawn the crowd to see all those emblems on the cage if they didn't have those two in the middle of the ring, in the cage. And so, uh, is I mean, that's one thing about the the Reebok deal that it, uh, that got me. I mean, I understand the fighters are getting all the money in the Reebok deal, and the UFC had you know that that was up to the UFC. Always had that option not to allow sponsors. And the UFC's point of view is that oh, you're taking advantage of our airtime to get these sponsors. At the same time, the fighters can point to UFC and say, yeah, but look at all the money you're making by us because we're fighting on top of the Anheuser-Busch logo right now. No one would be looking at this logo if we weren't here. And we don't get a cut of that. So on that sense, it works both ways, and that, that happens to Bellator too. I mean, the Bellator cage uh, sponsorships I think are more valuable right now than the uh, the fighter ones if I, yeah, if, I, would I agree. if the information I have yeah it, that's what it sounds like at least they seem to be getting pretty decent sponsorship for the Bellator the the promotion itself better than what the fighters have been getting yeah but bellator again,
0: to me it's really it's kind of fascinating to sit back and watch because i think there was a point last year where they were just right in this high momentum and you're like wow and then all of a sudden, and, and I don't know if it, it's what if it's because of what happened back in February, but man, it just seems like all that momentum has just gone away with them. And, and I guess the only thing I can really point to is because the the perception of that of that organization based on, on some things that have happened over the past couple of months.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. I think the it's been a a very bad uh, PR year so far. I mean, they were doing if you look at what they were doing. Uh, the I know for fact the Spike guys and Viking gums were super happy with uh, with Coker. They loved him. They loved that attendance was way up. The gate was way up for before the ratings were were technically way up, mostly because of the tentpole events. Those events yeah, were you know, spiking, you, bringing up everything.
0: If you take away those tentpole events and you look at the quote unquote monthly events, they're yeah. they're up slightly. Um, you yeah know, from the from the previous regime but it's really been a temple events so it was the last time I did a, a ratings article because I I remember early this year when you know you know uh, Scott Coker was oh, our average is 1.2 million which in terms of the way spike you know when they talk about ratings it's always the plus three DVR average which is something yeah. I'm I just I'm like you're a sports property this isn't a reality show we should be talking about the live viewership not the DVR viewership you don't hear the NFL going around you know hey this is what we're getting on our plus-three DVR ratings. No, it's it's about the live number. But, uh, you know, and, and, and you keep seeing that average number dwindle down, dwindle down. I mean, they've had some shows. I mean, I thought their last show did a lot better than I thought. I, I thought it was, you know, maybe it's the people have really gotten invested uh, in Darian Caldwell, which I think that's that's another situation where sometimes you just make the fight you need to make because you never know what might happen.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's what it was that you strike with Aaron's hot as uh, Lorenzo Fertitta said don't you know <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we didn't see the fights they were talking about but still I, I should hey God bless, them. That.
0: God bless him God bless Fortina what they were was to sell. like I mean it's just it's it's still amazing me and and I know as we're recording this on, on a Wednesday afternoon I I saw some you know tweets from Marco Romande. and by the way I think it's it's absolutely great that the Association of Boxing Commissions is actually. Relevant again, because I, I don't think we've, you know, as long as I've covered combat sports, uh, the ABC, I mean, I remember the ABC did a, a convention, I want to say two or three years ago, uh, literally about 40 minutes from my house. Did I go? No, because you just knew nothing c- came of it. And, and to me, I think what Mike Mazula has done in a year, and you look at some of the committees they put together. I wish the the weight class, new weight classes, would have made it out out of committee. It was kind of fascinating to kind of sit back and see what happened on Tuesday with New Jersey and Randy Couture. But also, you know, Couture today, and I think you have to give Mike Mazula and his entire team there a little credit for opening their doors up to the supporters of the Ali Act opening up their doors to the supporters of a fire association to give their side of why. And, and I know, you know Randy Couture you know, made a statement about, you know, hey, when you look at uh, you know, what the UFC sold and how much fires have made, I mean, this is, this is really going to be the narrative we're going to hear while these things are, are being pushed publicly.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I I, I got a compliment, Mike. He's. Uh, I've talked to him a couple of times, even when. And I don't always agree with him, but I got to say, I, I I really like the guy, and I really respect him, and I think he's one of the best. Uh, he's one of the most serious athletic uh, commission uh, members. Of the AB, members of the ABC, in the yeah. sense that he is he is serious about the responsibility of the commissions to look out for the safety of fighters and to, and to look into the responsibilities, and I think he's looking at the Ali Act again. Now, hopefully he's looking at the boxing side, too, because on you know I know this is an MMA podcast, but the boxers, you know, uh, it, it needs to be much more enforced in boxing than it oh, has yeah. been. It, it's not enforced. Uh, Let's be honest about it. It's well. It's not. It's up to the individual. The only way it's used in boxing is it intimidates some promoters because there are some perjury clauses in it that I'm sure some promoters like it's not worth even risk that. And there's an individual boxers can bring it into a lawsuit, private lawsuit. They can use it in, in private action. And so when it goes to suit, the judge can look at it and go, "That's law. You gotta you gotta comply to that." And that rarely comes up because. A fighter has to, a boxer has to pay for that himself. But it has used about, I guess, a half a dozen times, ten times. So it's affected a little bit the, the market. But it's not, it's not enforced nearly enough. That's <laughs> well,
0: for sure. It's like I say, go find me the PBC boxer that has complaints about Al Heyman.
1: That you know what though? That's the weird thing about it. The uh, under, you know, if you look at the lawsuit, Al Heyman, by all accounts, is breaking the Ali Act. But but you look at it and you go, oh, God, how is he getting away with this? The weird thing is, unless there's a boxer that brings the charge against them unless there's a boxer that's, that that thinks he's violating it. Another promoter is not technically supposed to be able to uh uh bring up charges under the Ali Act. Those are there to protect boxers, not other promoters. So if he keeps all of his boxers happy by paying them more than everybody else and 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 doing stuff like that where they're all really happy and none of them want to charge him with anything, guess what? He's not breaking the Ali Act.
0: I would love to see their books of how much oh, in the yeah. red they are. I mean, you know, God bless that's, all these boxers for making the amount of money they're making. But, I mean, that's I, – I think for the people who are sitting there when it comes to Aliak for MMA Mayor saying – well, what's it done for boxing? And why do? We, and the other thing I've said about this is, you know, when we're talking about the Ali Act or, or we're talking about fire association, this just can't be about protecting the guys at the UFC level and the Bellator level and the World Series of Fighting level. It's got to, it's got to help out ev- all the fighters out there because I mean, you know it just like I do. There are a lot of fighters on the regional scene that are literally fighting for pennies. Oh, I mean,
1: I did, and I got an article coming out on this, and I did a thing where I looked at all the payouts that uh, the California, Nevada, and Florida did. And you look at it, MMA, box, MMA fighters at the bottom, they are the worst paid people, even much worse than boxing. The bottom half of MMA are making like $500 a fight, you know, compared to the median, the medium income. In other words, what 50% make less, 50% make more of a, of a pro boxer, professional boxer, in those three states I looked at was $3,250. MMA fighter was $1,250. bucks. There is, there is no value in MMA. And, and you can almost go, there's no value in MMA outside of, of the UFC. That's it really just UFC fighter. If it wasn't for the UFC, there, there would be no money in MMA.
0: You got, I, mean, uh, look, I mean, this is, I mean, and, and me and Sam have talked about this, and I'm sure you've talked about this in the past. If you're not a ticket seller in MMA, it is very tough to make money on the regional scene. Yeah and then this is where the I guess this is
1: where the Ali Act comes in and this is where the theory why the Ali Act and the association go together. The guys that are doing the Ali Act, they're they were lobbying for it, the Fighters Association. The people pushing for it. Their theory uh, on it is if they if they introduce the Ali Act, it's gonna do it's probably gonna do something that fans don't want to see happen. And that's take the titles away from the promotion. That's what they'd love to see. And and fans will be an uproar because they love the idea of you know a UFC title and a Bellator title. It's it's mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the the wrestling it's the WWF model. It's a pro wrestling model and it works great for pro wrestling it works it's been very popular amongst fans. But for the reason boxers get more money, especially at the lower there's competition for them. There's competition for them because you don't have control over who fights for a title. The sanctioning bodies do. So you're competing for talent that are good enough to, to be able to challenge for a title and win it. And so promoters are all you know, competing for these top guys. And that's their idea. Their plan is if we can do that, we can introduce much more competition. So it's not only a UFC world. It's a UFC actually truly competing with other promotions for the top guys. And that'll flow down to the lower guys. I don't know hundred percent that'll work because I think a big part of MMA is not just no competition. It's the UFC brand is a huge part of MMA.
0: Oh, no doubt. And, and
1: and that's, and I think that's the thing that doesn't quite line up with, with, uh, boxing. The other thing is without a strong fighters association, to protect the Act, In other words, without a strong fighter association that will enforce it because the commissions won't enforce it. You need a fighter's association because one of the things a fi- association can do is it can sue on behalf of its members. So if you have a strong fighter's association, you can make sure everybody complies the Act because they can sue constantly if you're not following it. Without oh. a strong fighter's association, the Act doesn't do much. I'm and surprised. so it's kind of vague.
0: Are, are you like me? Are you surprised that Luckenhof's, uh you know, um... Competitive. I, I, I. Off top of my head, I forget what he's calling his. You know, I forgot,
1: too, we we talked about this a couple months ago, and I can't remember the name of the dang thing, his World, no, Association of... Association of, of
0: Combative Sports, or, or something along those lines. They actually had their, their first uh, convention uh, back in the beginning of, of July uh, in, in New Orleans. And I'm kind of surprised, because Lukanoff was, I, I remember this was, maybe it was two years ago, that he was trying to go after Al Heyman. And I'm kind of surprised that maybe we haven't heard Tim... You know, try to go publicly in support of the Ali Act for MMA.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mike Mazzouli has actually been more pro uh, pro about it than than Tim is, which is and and you know Mike hasn't. Mike just basically said if some of the
0: fighters want, we are 100 percent behind it. And that's but yeah, that's the thing Mazzoli's always said. Anyone who's ever talked to Mike Mazzouli, the one thing he'll always say is, "I am just out there looking for the best interest of fighters."
1: Yeah, which is, and I, I like that. I mean, it's one thing. Listen, we we're fans. We write to fans. You know, fans are what basically pay us more than fighters do. But yeah, I tell you, I, fighters are the ones getting hit in the head, and mm-hmm. and I'm willing to take a hit on my fandom uh, for for guys that get hit in the head to get make a little bit more money and have a little more protections. So, but uh, but still, at the, the going back to Tim. I don't know what he's doing, and he was very strongly supportive of John McCain a few years ago with the National Commission too. So I don't know if he's trying to trying to basically make a National Commission first, and then if it ever gets back into um, back into Congress, someone someone proposes a National Commission again, he has his in place to basically be the National Commission. I don't know. I'm just. I'm just throwing stuff out I mean, there, and wonder if that's the possibility. It,
0: this is my thing. It, it seems to me, and as someone who has really monitored the regulatory side, it, it's like: Are you Team mizzouli slash Foster slash Bennett, or are you Team Lukenhoff? And it, it does not seem that Tim has much support behind him.
1: Yeah, I know. It does. I mean, the big. It seems like the very big states, the most important states, are all with uh, with Mike now. With right the exception, now. New that, Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no yeah Yeah. I mean, and, and you know what, though? I, I respect Limbo's, uh, uh, you know, point of view on that. Everybody gave him a hard time. But I understand this, I mean, they spent a lot of time crafting the current, um, the, uh, the, the current uh, unified rules. And I think his point of view, the part that I got that I understood was he was worried about language turning people off about the sport. Yeah, I mean, it's... And then setting him up. I I can understand that. I mean, he he went through, from his point of view, when he went through all the trouble they went to kind of protect the sport from being written in a way that people could criticize it, that he didn't want to reintroduce that language and possibly reopen those uh, criticisms in the future. I I don't agree with him. I think the other guys were right, but I understand his point of view. I don't think it was a completely clueless point of view. I just think it was
0: just wrong. But as a sport, MMA's got to evolve. And, and yeah. that's and that's to me what I see in the the new leadership of the ABC is that they're you know I I think the committees that they put in I mean not just the you know the rules and regulation but the, the medical committee that that's out there as well I mean they're doing things that, that can you know protect the fires. but in terms of the Ali Act and I give Missouri and everyone credit for allowing you know them to present this uh, to the board of what they're they're doing but you know to me one of the questions I have with the Ali Act is what happens if representative Mark Wayne Mullin's not reelected in November?
1: then well, they got some co-sponsors so they, you know the bill's introduced I think they didn't reintroduce it they they're up to like six or seven congressional yeah I
0: saw so. I think maybe you had put it out maybe a, a week ago. I remember uh you know Kennedy was one of the i think he was the first co-sponsor of the bill. Yeah, he's the only
1: one across the aisle right now. Although I know other Democrats that support it, but he's the only one across the aisle. I think it's, which is surprising. You think the Republicans would be the ones? The, if you look at the lobbyists and the people writing against it, it's obviously a conservative, uh, right wing side uh, complaint against it. There's been nothing left yet. Um, you know, the 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 the. If you look at the papers and the, the opinion pieces that were written, they're from guys from the Heritage Foundation and. And stuff like that have been writing the the opinion pieces anti Ali Act. So I'm a little surprised that they've, you know, that all the support co-sponsors signing on have been Republicans so far. So I mean, in a weird way, I wonder if it's it almost feels like a weird way. It's part of that that Trump split in the Republican Party right now that there's the established Republicans and there's some guys on the outside going against them. And I wonder if it. It almost has that weird feeling.
0: I just don't understand. I, I I'm sitting there, and you know, and me and my wife were watching uh, last week with John Oliver the other night, and <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I looked at her. And I go, I still can't believe Donald Trump is running for president. That we yeah, have gotten to this point where he's actually the nominee. I go, I'm just, it, it's amazing to me. It's just, it's absolutely amazing to me. Where where it's, it's one of the things I look there and go, I really wonder what someone across the world thinks of the United States right now when Donald Trump oh, is well, I, what the representative you know, nominee is. I mean,
1: you, you look at some of the other world leaders right now, I don't think it's, there's not a lot of countries can talk considering some of their politicians. It, it just seems to be. I mean, I'm not. Well, I don't think we want to get in the the uh, p- political sphere here too much. But I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not. Uh, I don't think he's you know a legitimate candidate by any means. But I'm not a guy that's going to mock some of some of the supporters. Are well, there are some strong yeah. racists that you, support him. But there's who, other guys. I think
0: here's who you want to be. Other people. The also, networks.
1: I, oh yeah, yeah. They, they love it. I'm sure. <laughs> But some of the supporters I understand they're just they're, they're people that want to throw a hand grenade into politics yeah. they they've they've really had a hard time the last not just 10 years 20 30 40 years of dissent to you know the, a big portion of this country as things have been getting worse and Trump is there I mean we've had two candidates like this you know you know, Bar- Bernie Sanders and Trump and and the Republican Party I guess was the weaker because they collapsed completely the Trump
0: yeah it's it's I, I, I it's I can only imagine how much, you know, the CNNs, the Fox News, how much money they're making advertising, uh, you know, right now for this run. I I can only imagine what it's like. But there's something you mentioned about lobbyists. And, you know, I kind of chuckled a couple weeks ago when the people who were lobbying for it, clearly, even though they they won't, you know, obviously they're not going to come out and totally admit it, um, but they were the ones that were complaining about the UFC lobbying against it. And I'm sitting there going, guys, are you – are you surprised by this? Of course, they're oh, going to lobby think... against. And I mean, and if you think that you know WME IMG is going to sit back and not lobby against it, boy, you are sadly mistaken.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're surprised. I mean, I've talked to some of those guys. I think they're the, the point of view you got to remember is that well, one thing the fighters they spend no money on lobbying. They have like fifty bucks. They're fighters. They don't have a lot of money. Yeah. Those they have no support. But I think it's just pure. It's just smart PR. They're 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 trying to set it up where it looks like. The UFC is spending money that they should be spending on the fighters to defeat a bill that they say will protect fighters. And that's, that's to me, smart PR. It's just, you know, that's, what, that's how they want to frame the conversation. And so I'm not going to sit there and say that's – and technically it's not right because you guys are lobbying too. You're, you're meeting with congressmen. You're trying to convince them to, to support the bill. You're doing a lot of stuff too. But it's it's to me it's smart because it's you know it's you're framing the the conversation for fans that oh on one side is the fighters trying to help fighter and the other side is the evil promoter trying to block them.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean look and I've always said I'm very pro fighter and and yeah. if you know we can you know get the, you know do it you know it's a the one of the things I, I never thought was a very laughable it's when people thought that wages are just automatically going to go up with new ownership I'm like yeah that's not the way business oh, yeah. works.
1: I actually i i think it is i think that not to be weird, but I think we'll see a new minimum for m m a for u f c fighters going forward twelve and twelve just basically you well know, that's pretty the much what it is right
0: now i mean i i i remember when the, the disclosed salaries for uh two o one came out and uh hector sonoval was on a twelve and twelve deal i mean you know mm-hmm. it's yeah you know, it, and and one of my problems with really talking about fighter pay'cause i i feel like when you, when you have that that conversation it's like you know a very small amount of information. You know you don't know. Um, you know, like when Eddie Wineland, after he got that win, and you know the the tweet about you know, hey, he's going to his job is that next morning. I think it's kind of like, it's like we know a part of the story, but like we don't know. Did they have some failed businesses that that put them in a hole? Did they maybe have you know something went wrong yeah. in their financial stability? That's why, i as a reporter, it's tough for me to comment on fighter payroll because. You don't. It, you're only. You only know maybe ten or twenty percent of the story when it comes to what's a a fighter's financial, you know, situation.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, what I've been trying to do, and besides the one where I went through all the reported payouts, I, I've been interviewing, and this has been a year in process. I've been interviewing fighters for about a year about not just reported pay, but what they really make. You know, do they have side deals? Do they get pay per view points? Do they get how much non disclosed locker room bonuses they get? So I'm up to. I, don't want, I think around 60 fighters I've done so far. So I need a, another dozen or so before I have a statistical relevance where I can say, okay, that's pretty accurate. But it's mm-hmm. – it's and not just fighters I've talked to. I've talked to managers who've gone over – you know, I don't want to give names because I don't know if their fighters want to know that their managers have been talking about what they make. Uh, and lawyers that work with fighters and stuff like that. And it's it's been a long process. But I, I, I am at the point where I'm starting to feel comfortable that – at least with the UFC. I've done it with Beltor, but Beltor is even more complex to try to figure yeah. out their pay. But at least with the UFC, I think I have a pretty good sense of where guys in the spectrum, what they're making. And which is, which, and it was, it's interesting because I did a mock version of it, and it almost aligned perfectly with what uh, Dave Meltzer was saying about how much total the UFC paid out to the fighters last year. And I go, well, that, that fills me with some confidence.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing when it comes to Bellator pay, and, and I think that where, I guess the criticism of the Bellator pay is more about the preliminary card. And yeah. I guess, you know, And, and look, I, I, I operate a business, so I kind of understand. I mean, you know, I'm looking at spreadsheets every day of, you know, how much money is coming in, how much, you know, expenses, all that type of stuff. But I, I sit back and I look at those Bellator preliminary cards, and when it's just a guy that is a local ticket seller, I sit there and go, well, how much is he worth to Bellator? Yeah, you know, I mean, they're not
1: real Bellator fighters either. These no, are they're local. I mean, look, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's or, you use those
0: I, you use those preliminary cards, and, and WSOF is now kind of taking that same business model of you know bringing these local fighters, and then all of a sudden, if one guy or or lady goes in there and just puts on a great performance, you go you go offer them a multi fight deal. It's essentially yeah, I mean, a tryout. It,
1: it, it, it's 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 the boxing model. I mean, the what the UFC is great that they pay their prelim guys so much. But part of the people forget is the prelim guys in the UFC are signed already to three, four, five fight deals. They're long term mm-hmm. deals. Yeah. They're development deals. It's like in boxing. In boxing, there's a lot of guys that are on good deals, long term with the promoter, and they are they're fighting on on some small show in the middle of nowhere that's not on TV because they're building them up. In UFC, they got them all in the prelims, and they're also then selling that prelim time to Fox or Fox Sports 20 you know, or whatever, or they're putting on Fight Pass. So they're they're monetizing it. Um, with Bellator World to the Fighting Other Promotions, they're just they're local fighters. They're not yeah. they're not true Bellator fighters.
0: No, no. I mean it's you know, it was I was having a conversation with someone in the TV industry about the UFC weigh-ins currently. And, you know, because now the the weigh-ins like on, on Friday, uh it'll be at uh, I believe seven PM Eastern time uh they're in Salt Lake City. But my understanding is all UFC events now. The the weigh-in you're seeing on television that is just for the cameras, folks. <laughs> the, you know they have I mean, already I, which which I kinda, <laughs> I sit there and go okay if you've already officially weighed in what is the point of stripping down to your underwear just step on the you know, scale.
1: Listen, if I had abs like some of those guys, I think I might I might go listen. Look at this, look at this, people. <laughs> but uh, uh the, yeah I don't the, I, I love the weigh-ins I mean I never watched the weigh-ins again. I'm just not of those guys that like the weigh-ins but it's it just it is it reached a level of absurdity now that we recreate weigh-ins we're gonna, yeah, we're mean, gonna recreate a weigh-in
0: it, it's something that's not a huge television draw anyway you know and that's why it's
1: I, a good promotional i, I give one yeah. thing i'll give ufc they they're the they're the one person that turned every weigh-in into a promotional event as much as boxing used to only do it for the biggest boxing matches.
0: Well, what surprises and, me is why the UFC doesn't put that on Fight Pass. With everything we have with UFC 200, where Misha Tate walks <laughs> in with literally, you know, 10 minutes to go uh, or or 30 seconds to go to weigh in, I'm I'm sitting there going, man, if you're if you're you know the, inside the UFC digital apartment, you have got to be sitting there going, man, if we had this on Fight Pass, what could that have done for, um, you know, just yeah. people just watching at that point
1: yeah and i wonder i wonder though too they might just be waiting until fight pass hits a point where it has enough membership that it's worthwhile because they might still well it serves a better point to make it free for everybody because we're trying to sell all this to the masses and fight pass still has a pretty small audience
0: yeah so, i mean it's that,
1: that might be their reasoning
0: <laughs> but personally still, I, 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 I love the 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 fight pass product i mean look i am i am someone that uh I have a cable uh, service. I would tell you that I don't watch it a lot. I probably watch more Netflix. Um, you know, than anything else or watching um, you know, the MLB, uh, you know, uh streaming service as well. I mean, and MLB Advanced Media. I mean, they're they're really I mean, I mean, they do MLB, they do WWE, they do um HBO, among the NHL. I mean, they're they're they are the benchmark in their service and who knows. I mean, when I sit there and, and I see stuff that you know they think the next UFC TV deal is going to get four hundred million, man, I, I find that hard to believe.
1: Yeah, that's who knows though. I mean, if it, I mean, wow, if it does, that's crazy four hundred million.
0: That and that, that would, would be, but that would justify selling, you know, buying the company for four billion.
1: Oh well, I mean, here's the if we we based on everything we know and there's like four sources now we can use in this. We, the UFC pays out to fighters about fifteen percent of the revenue. Yeah. So think of this way: they're right now spending 150 to 120 million a year. They make off Fox from the Fox deal. So you're talking 280 million more. Protect, production costs doesn't change. There's there's just because you got a bigger TV deal doesn't mean you're spending more on your cameraman. He's making the same. The the location costs the same. All the other expenses are the same. So the only expense would be the fighter pay. And so if you decide, well, we're going to keep giving the fighters 15% of that extra 280 million. That's 40 million roughly to the fighters that's 240 million gets thrown into your EBITDA and earnings
0: mm-hmm.
1: and right there instead of being a 16 to 1 multiple which everybody was freaking out like how could you spend so much it suddenly becomes like an 8 to 1 or 7 to 1 yeah it's and now yeah. it's worth now it's worth it it's
0: it's it's so fascinating I me mean, and then this whole Mark Hunt situation Um, You know, I saw his his social media where it sounds like he he decided not to take an out-of-competition drug test. I mean, as a reporter and when you're, you know, and look, you're just like myself, you're you're trying to get web clicks, whether it's a a podcast or or an article, you're right. I mean, the stuff Mark Hunt says, it's great. I mean, even his interview with Ariel, I thought he was – it became a point where he was just repeating himself. You know, it was just the same thing over and over again. So, you know, for me, it kind of lost its substance. But I also I look at it and say I think it's great that we're seeing fighters speak out because you know I remember when this Usada deal came in, managers behind the scenes were I mean they were an uproar oh. because I mean yeah there were and there, were, and there I, were management companies that didn't want their fighters signing that agreement.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I mock I got on Twitter a while and I was mocking people about signing it, and part of my mocking was because behind the scenes fighters and managers were all telling me how much they didn't like it, but publicly they're all like this is the greatest thing ever, and I mean I. I like, I mean, I get in debates with Josh Gross about this, because Josh Gross is super supportive of it. I like USADA and the fact that I like what they're doing, the, the theory behind it. But I do feel like it's unfair to throw all these rules and obligations and stuff on fighters without any input or, or compensation. Yes. I mean, you, they have to show up and they have to tell people where they are all the time. They have to show up for and give samples and like, well, what do I get out of it? Well, you get out of it that you're, we know you're clean, but we're not going to pay you anymore. You have to do all these extra steps, but we're not gonna give you any more money.
0: I remember a manager we were we were talking, this was months ago. We were talking about the whereabouts policy, because one of his fires mm-hmm. called him up about he's like, Hey, I'm going on vacation, but I want to make sure you saw his cool with it. And he basically told me, says, You can't tell you when and where you can go on vacation. Just go. Just put it in the whereabouts policy where you're at. <laughs> they can't stop you from going on vacation. I mean and I remember when when this was all introduced the one thing that was said to me from someone in in the industry was, you know, USADA works for promotions, not commissions. But I think that when you look at what you know, some of the things that have happened with fighters who have you know failed USADA drug tests and it's ultimately been for a Las Vegas card, it seems like USADA and the Nevada Athletic Commission are working together. And and ultimately, I think that's a good thing because I you know, another thing I when this all came out, I had people saying that. You know, USADA can throw a two-year suspension, but they're not a part of the Association of Boxing Commissions. You know, a commission doesn't necessarily have to honor it, which we've not gotten to that point. But you have if, but it does seem like these two sides are, are coming together now, and there seems to be a uh, teamwork going on.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's that's uh, it's pretty interesting about that. I mean, the USADA thing about, I mean, one thing is people sign contracts now, so the UFC can enforce those suspensions on you. Um, you know I, I don't know what the, all the language I mean i guess they can take they can sue you they can take money from you there's there's a lot of they have a lot of power in those contracts unless you're willing to challenge them and um, not many people want to go to court with the UFC uh in Nevada where, no. where, where you'd have to that's where you'd have to go to take them to court so those contracts with Isada are pretty binding uh i mean the one it's it's i just like i just wish again it, it's something and this is something that'd be interesting. Like the national, everybody talks about a national commission, and I kind of agree with the principle that UFC shouldn't be negotiating the drug testing policy with USADA. I mean, it's 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 beneficial in the sense that they're protecting their interest and they're they're building this drug testing program. But it, it just the appearance of conflict of issue appears. I mean, I don't. If you look at Brock Lesnar, what when they gave him that waiver? That's within the rules, and there's and yeah. people say, well, they've done it for other fighters. It's not that they can't do that, or they don't do it for other fighters, or it really, it's not that big a deal. It's the appearance mm-hmm. that makes it look bad. It, yeah. it looked like they gave him a pass to use drugs, you know, steroids, or whatever, up until a month before, and then he, and then when he fails, it looks extra bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, my issue is, and, and I know Andy Foster said this at the ABC conference, and, and when on, on the day we're talking on a Wednesday. It, where, you know, USADA, uh, Jeff Nowitzki did a, uh, you know, talk to the, to the body and, and they were talking about things. And Andy Fosh said, you saw it, you got to expedite it. And I remember when, and this was uh, May of last year, I remember I was doing, you know, uh, Bellator, you know, they, they, they do just basically like two hour blocks with fighters and, you know, talk to media people like myself and, and other people. And and I remember I did an interview with Kendall Grove when he was going to fight Bran Halsley. And you know, he he came out and, and basically accused Bran Halsley uh of being on, on drug testing. So like any reporter, what am I gonna do? He's fighting California. I pick up the phone and call Andy Foster. And I said, Hey, just gonna kinda let you know this story's gonna drop here and ultimately Andy did out of competition drug testing because of, of the accusations there, and both fighters ended up, you know, testing uh, clean. But what he did was he expedited those results so he knew he had them by fight night. And I think that's the problem with Usada. And I understand that right now with these, um, you know, these labs, there's there's a lot of drug tests being done because of the Olympics. But you, you got to sit there, and and I've put the suggestion out there. I think for any main event fighter. A all out-of-competition drug tests got to be expedited because, you know, if the expedition process would have been happened for UFC 200, the UFC isn't put in the Jon Jones situation. Maybe they're not put in the Brock Lesnar situation.
1: Well, I thought it's weird. If we had a fighters association that sat in and actually negotiated, I bet you the fighters would do the opposite. They would want a blackout period starting maybe a month before the fight and at, from that point on, test results would only come afterwards because some of them wouldn't. I mean, some fighters would be throwing a you know fit and be upset. They want to make sure all you know cheaters are caught. But I'm sure a lot of fighters would be like, I don't want my fight to disappear. I want to make that money and and mm-hmm. then put the punishment after he fails the test and give me some money. Mm-hmm. I just got a feeling you know, that's that's the weird thing. We were going back to the fighters association earlier. There's things the fighters are going to want that that fans and associations and I mean the boxing association and promoters all have conflicting interests and, and that's that's to be I mean that's something we'll have to look in the future. If, if the fighters are getting more input, they're gonna want stuff that might not be to the to the enjoyment or to the uh, to the preference of the uh, the ABC or to the uh, the fans. And definitely not to the promoters, that's for sure. They don't want the fighters to have any say. I mean we know let's, that.
0: let's think about this. How much money did Daniel Cormier lose?
1: exactly i mean millions he
0: he, he was willing to fight
1: still he was willing to fight you know john jones still if if he could sign something before and say i don't want to know the results till after the fight but if jones fails overturn the fight and maybe pay me you know mark hunt might say the same mark hunt might not be nearly as bad upset if he knew uh, ahead of time he took part of an agreement that said i get a percentage of a purse of anybody that fails that i fight
0: to me the 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 odd thing about the whole Mark Hunt situation is how bad the UFC has handled this
1: yeah, i don't I, I don't know why they didn't call him right away. I really don't that's just that but you hear that from a lot of fighters that UFC will just not talk to you for a while yeah, I mean like, think, you know
0: I mean it's I mean, I know after you went on Ariel's show that oh. Jeff Nowitzki called him, but you know, why isn't the president of the, of the promotion call mark Hunt? I mean, that, sh- that shouldn't be Jeff Nowitzki's job. You know, maybe it should be a conference call where it's like, hey, Mark, it's you know, Dave Schaller calls him up and says, hey, we're going to put you on a conference call. We've got uh, Jeff Nowitzki. We've got Dana White here. Uh, you know, and whoever else wants to be on the call, maybe you put Mark Ratner on the call as well it- to sit there and kind of explain everything to him. Maybe have you on that conference call as well to kind of explain everything to him. But to me, that's just they've just handled this situation um, you know, poorly, and, and I don't think you know. And some people say, "Oh, Mark Hunt took it too far." I don't, I don't think Mark Hunt's taking it too far. I think he's just sitting there, and and I think it's just it's it's a domino effect for him when you look at you know his past couple of fights and the fact that all of his opponents have tested positive for something.
1: Yeah, I mean, from Mark Hunt's point of view, I, I can. I mean, you, I look at it and say, "Hey, Mark, you're you're just from." PR, public, you know, uh, representation, uh, just trying to sell your message. You're going a little too far. You know, you're 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 going so far that there's no way to, for others to back down. But I understand his point of view. I mean, from his point of view, and it, it's not, it's probably not even the correct one. From his point of view, that he's been following the rules, and yet for whatever reason, everybody's fighting is is not been following the rules, and he doesn't feel the promotion is out there protecting him the way they claim they have been that's his point of view doesn't mean it's right 100% doesn't mean that the UFC hasn't been trying to you know be fair but from his point of view they haven't been and i can understand that uh, i don't know i mean the, the problem with Mark Hunt, like any fighters is fighters are not most of them are just not great spokespeople for any labor movement you know and fighters will tell you that they're not you know there's very few of them that can speak on the issue of exactly you know how this should how this should work how should drug testing work how should judging work how should how should pay work? I mean, they all have a point of view, but they're not great spokespeople on that. They're not going to be. They're not going to be able to sell the masses on their. Even though they, they even have some of them have great thoughts. When you get them alone and actually talk about, them, they go, "You really understand this. You really get it." But you do an interview with them, and they will stumble that big time. They will stumble through that that response every time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a, it's interesting time to see kind of what's going on here. And, and I, you know, I would love to see more current UFC fighters besides Mark Hunt, Cajun Johnson, Leslie Smith go public in their support of this. And, you know, I guess the question ultimately comes is do you get a Connor McGregor? Do you get a John Jones? Uh, uh, you know, if George St. Pierre comes back, you know, guys along, you know, around that, a Ronda Rousey type fighter to show their support for it. I mean, you know, it's great to get the, you know, the, the middle of the card fighters but also you want to get the top of the line fighters
1: yeah that's i mean most fighters are just you know they're i mean if you pull when you talk to fighters behind the scene you pull them there's the, the vast majority of fighters uh at least in bellator and the ufc they want a fighters association they want this stuff 70 or 80 percent. i can i can pretty blatantly say 70 or 80 percent want a fighters union though they you know that which shows part of the problem is they don't quite distinguish what a union and association is. They haven't yeah. a lot of them haven't quite figured that out. And then you talk, okay, how many people are in an association? Well, part of the problem too is there's been a lot of bad, you know, a lot of people have been involved in this that have been confusing the shit out of people. I mean, remember last year the Culinary Union teamed up with the Teamsters to launch something. Yeah. What happened to that? Disappeared. You know, they they didn't. You know, th- that disappeared. So whoever was. You know, hitching their horse to those guys—they're hitching their horse to their, their wagon. That's gone. That was a waste of effort. It,
0: it's, uh, it makes me wonder: will the culinary union still be uh, lobbying against the UFC now?
1: I very much doubt it. I, you know, I mean, what they're gonna—I don't think their interest in the UFC is that the Fertitta's own two percent anymore. I don't think it's gonna—it's gonna motivate them to go after them. That was probably one so, of the most
0: interesting things about the sale: the fact that it wasn't a, a complete one hundred percent sale.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean. Uh, I mean, some people told me, and they, they thought that would happen, and this is not to say this is the reason, but they thought the UFC would be, uh, for Tita's, Zufo would be forced to hold on to some portion of it, because if they lose that antitrust lawsuit, if something else pops up, liabilities, where are they going to get the money? The money's going to have to come out of those guys' shares. In other words, you don't get all the money from the sale, we get, you, get to, you have to keep some of it in it as equity, because we need something to take from you in case we lose these cases,
0: is there anything new with the antitrust lawsuit?
1: No, they're all in discovery. We'll have to we'll have to see what uh, what goes on. On um, I think that'll be a while. We'll have to wait. The next big step, I think, the next big step is going to be um, uh, uh, gonna class uh, certification and uh, and pre- and uh, and preliminary um, um, judgment. If we get to, if we get past those two, then holy crap, then the floodgates open.
0: I'm telling you, man, if that if that ever gets to actually to a trial. Man, there's gonna be a, There might be a lot of many people that are gonna to have to live in Las Vegas who don't live there for that trial. Uh, I'll
1: probably send Paul again. I have to cover that. We have Paul. Paul can do that for us. But uh, it, it'll be interesting if it gets that far. I mean, it's it's already been very fascinating just the stuff that's kind of come out about it. And and yeah, this is it's it's weird too. Is this this is something too that kind of we're talking about the Ollie Act and the association tied together. The antitrust suit does too. It, yeah. it all kind of ties the, – the, the guy that spirited the antitrust suit well, is Rob Macy, the guy that's trying to organize the uh, Fighters Association. Uh, if you look at it, that antitrust lawsuit, that comes straight from the NFL Players Association. That's what they used to do. That's what they still do. They threaten the, the NFL with antitrust lawsuits whenever things don't go their way. If, if there's ever a Fighters Association forms, the two things they can – they can't strike because they're independent contractors – the two things they can do is pass legislation, which is like the Ollie Act, and then and then enforce it with lawsuits, and file antitrust lawsuits to get promoters, uh, especially the UFC, who are the, the biggest, they're probably the only one that can really get it, but to get them to comply with their behavior. I mean, there's some argument that because of that lawsuit is why we started seeing improvement in free agency. I mean, people don't realize it, but you remember the old stories with the UFC was, when a guy wanted to go free, they'd freeze him out and then add months to his contract because he took off time for an injury. Yeah. In other words, like Roger Horta and Arloff, you would sit out a year 13 months. They'd, they'd do the tolling provisions. Brendan Vera got a notice about that. that. That used to happen in the past. With all the new free agents, I've talked to guys, and they've gotten letters that said they're going to extend the contract. But the UFC hasn't extended anybody's contract. They haven't, they haven't done what they used to do in the past. And if you talk to Paul Gift about this he'll tell you that he thinks that's that kind of evidence that the UFC is modifying their behavior just in case, just in case.
0: That, yeah. I mean, that, the, the, the automatic extensions, you, you still, I mean, there's still <coughs> some of the older Belder contracts are still there. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it happened with Michael page, you know, uh, you know, he, mm-hmm. he said that it was a, a, it was an automatic extension, uh, you know, for him, speaking of a Bellator, you know, obviously it's, uh, it was, you know, what two months ago that the Zach loss, uh, the Zach light lawsuit, uh, comes out, which which was a fascinating read to sit there uh, and read that. Then of course Bellator comes out with their lawsuit, and, and kind of the way I look at that whole situation is each side's going to have to prove their claims.
1: Exactly, I'm I'm 100 percent in that. It's they're, they're they're both, they're very damaging claims. I mean, both of them might come out looking terrible. They shit. That's just the way you know. That's just the way it works. But yeah, I mean, they're pretty—they're pretty harsh claims on both sides. Yeah, I harsh mean, accusations.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at both sides. I mean, you got to look at from Zach Light's situation. Can he ever get a job again uh, in the MMA industry? And then, if he can, if there is able to prove uh, about medical situations in terms of fires for fight cards. I mean, that is, man, I don't, I don't yeah, know how Bellator would recover from that.
1: That's that's promotion ending. I mean, if, if if it's true that Bellator was actively helping make guys for you know helping them forge documents, medicals so they could pass when they when they had medical problems so they could fight. Uh, especially in light of the Kimbo situation. I mean that that just it's that's just looming over it. Even though there's no evidence that uh, that they that Kimbo's documents were forged by anybody, or at least anybody in, in Bellator, because we haven't seen them. They're you know the the yeah. Texas commission won't release them, but. But if, if it ever comes out that they did that, that's that's promotion You can't you can't have a promotion doing that stuff. You, you that would be at the same time, if it comes out that Zach Light's exaggerating or lying or, or this is not true, well that's that's the end of Zack Light right there because you've just you've attempted to ruin a promotion that was not doing that.
0: So and, it's and if you're Bellator you're hoping that you know if it ends up that they can prove their claims are correct and Zach lights are incorrect. You're hoping that the media will make just as big a deal of it as when Zach's lawsuit came up came uh, yeah. front first.
1: Yeah, I mean the one good thing for Peloton, this is kind of sad, is they're not a big enough. They're they're the second biggest promotion in the U.S., but they're not so big that this entered mainstream uh, press. The 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 yeah. masses don't know about this. If this was the UFC. I'm sure you know major you know much bigger outlets would have reported on it.
0: Oh, of course, you would
1: have. Had, you would have. Well, Deadspin would have wrote some about it, and then maybe even the New York Times might pick it up and put in an article or two about what's going on. So there, it would be yes, you know, Bleacher Report would get it posted on top of uh, CNN. So there would be a lot more attention to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you mentioned about Kimbo and the whole text situation. The thing that's overshadowed about that entire story is Ken and the fact of you know he failed his drug test too. Um, which you know, in, if you're Bellator, I don't know how they stay in the Ken Shamrock business, especially when he's doing interviews <laughs> saying that fighters should be allowed to take PEDs. I'm like, oh my goodness! Like if you're if you're you know whether you're you know Coker, you're rich or or you're Kogan, you got to be sitting there going, man, how can we be in business with this guy? Well,
1: here's the weird thing: is uh, uh, I, I almost agree with them because if you're going to do a Ken Shamrock fight, people like that that has no sporting relevance. It's like it's almost safer for them to be just in PEDs because they, they can't get in shape to even be put in the cage. Uh, the, the, thing, the funny thing about the whole Ken Shamrock vs Gracie and Dada and Kimbo is I didn't even watch those fights. Not you know you know nothing. So you're the one guy did. who did it. I didn't have no interest. I was on the phone with someone that whole night. I was I just uh. had no interest. In the, I said before I had no interest in those fights. Uh, I understand why they do them. They're big rating hits, but they're just not the type of stuff that appeals to me. But the and. It's the the criticism towards. It's funny too. Is the criticism towards Kimbo and Dada is that the fight never should have been made, and it it probably shouldn't have in hindsight. But really, it was the hoyce Gracie Ken Shamrock fight before that everybody was up in arms in, yeah,
0: because I mean, everybody
1: thought they were way too old to be still fighting.
0: I, I think that in terms of the the quote unquote hardcore fan base, the, you know, the fan base that are you know reading our articles all the time it is. It, it, It's simply some of the matches that get made in Bellator that, you know, when you get the press release and you see it, you sit there and go, why are you doing this fight? You know, there's, you know, it's like the running joke. If there's a a female fight in Bellator, just wait till the the betting odds come out. Just go to Vegas and throw some money on the underdog. Good chance. You're probably going to win because that's the way it seems it goes. Yeah.
1: It's, I mean, I guess, why do they make those fights for ratings? I mean, and, and, That's the, that's the answer for Bellator and, and Bellator doesn't have the, it's sad, Bellator doesn't have the luxury of the UFC where they can, they can churn down fights because, you know, for, for morality or for, you know, because they have some sort of pride in their product. I mean, Bellator is, I mean, we, both of us, I think are pretty, our sources are pretty on, not on spot, but share the same perspective is that Bellator is basically breaking even at this point, maybe for Viacom spike. That that's they they lost money and now they're at a point where maybe they're almost at break even point. And so they in terms have, of when uh,
0: they took over Bellator,
1: uh, in terms of I guess on or a year to year basis since the Coker
0: base, era started,
1: yeah, yeah, basically on a, a Coker era, I guess
0: since yeah, the Coker yeah. era started, yeah, year to year. I've but said this. Didn't. I think if someone made a legitimate offer to Viacom <clears> right now, I think they could acquire Bellator pretty cheap.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, it's just not. It's especially you know, I mean, they're in the business of putting on fights that draw ratings. Uh they're they're that's their business model, they want to draw ratings and they don't there's not a lot of stars out there available that they can put on that are top guys, top ten that can draw ratings for them. They you know, they there's just not that many. There's there's yeah. there's some you know, they're just not available. They're just not out there. And the guys that draw ratings, I mean one of them just died. And the and the other one, you know, they, they can't put those guys on anymore too because there's so much criticism they got for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember this was probably you know maybe two years ago. I had somebody say that if, if someone came to Viacom right now and offered them ninety million, they would sell Bellator in a heartbeat. Oh, 90, oh nine, That's I, I don't know if they can get fifty million right now. You know, just no. They shouldn't.
1: I mean, if you look at the prices, what I mean, the only reason they got so much in the first place when when um. And Rebney sold them was because Strikeforce was already sold. There was no one on the market. Bellator, yeah. Spike wanted to get in the MMA business, and guess what? There was one promotion that could that could be classified as world class at that point, and that was Bellator. Yeah, I mean, they were the big winners of the Strikeforce purchase. They're, their asking price probably tripled at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that one of you know, and I, and I think that Bjorn made a couple mistakes um, that I think he probably looks back on now and say he should have done it. He should have done the NBC SN deal for for the preliminary card. Um, you know, there, there was a belief that he thought he could get more money than what NBCSN, which I, I, like, I had to laugh about people who, who would sit there and go, oh, you're, you're making stuff up. I'm like, if you guys knew my sources on this and the information I had of how, how good it was. I mean, that was a story that I, I had worked on for weeks. Like, I remember when the World Series of Fighting would flat out deny it, deny it, and deny it, and you know, they asked me for a retraction and i said uh, no because i believe in what i'm so i'm uh, being told and it was literally a year later i had you know uh, someone high up in that organization that's no longer there said to me and goes yeah your story was 100% correct i go of course it was i knew it was um you know and that's a that's a promotion that i still like i wonder how they're making <laughs> making it work cuz i mean yeah. that that's i mean i they they made a great decision at the beginning of this year to essentially do co-promotion events. Essentially, yeah. I mean, it's it's something Bellator has done for years. You know, team up with a local promoter, have them book the preliminary card. And, I mean, a perfect example with Bellator is when they go to St. Louis. They team up with Jesse Finney and Shamrock FC. You know, it's it's essentially a, a undercard of a, what would be a Shamrock FC main card. And then it's a Bellator card for the main card. I mean, World Series of Fighting has done a good that part, but I still sit there and go, when you, when you talk about who their you know venues are going to, and then we hear what the attendance is. You're like, man, how are these guys surviving?
1: Yeah, it's well. First of all, it's if you're not the UFC, it's a no brainer to do co promotion on your undercard. It's just it's what boxers. You know, I mean, when when you go under when when. When Rock Nation goes into Florida, they go talk to uh, Leon Margolis to have him help book the the card. They're not bringing all their guys in because they don't have a lot over there. So they're you know they're they're booking someone to get get local guys to get some time, get some ring time, and and help sell tickets because their family's in the neighborhood. If you're not the UFC, you have got to do that because it you know it it helps sell extra tickets, so you bring more revenue and it cuts costs because. Now you have cheaper fighters that you don't have to fly in and, and spend all this money on hotel, hotel rooms and stuff. Those guys can just drive. They live in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, You're well, saving
1: a lot of money there. So it's a no-brainer than that. For World Series of Fighting, I don't... I mean, I like actually... I like the World Series of Fighting product in a way. I like what their ideas Their ideas, basically, we're presenting. Just good MMA, the best that we can get put together. The problem is there's just not a lot of great MMA you can present outside with, with UFC with 600 fighters and then Bellator with, what, another 150 under contract. Uh, there's just, you know, you, you have your Marlon uh, Maros, you have him, and he's one of the top fighters in the world. Who do you pit him against?
0: But here's Which the problem. Very... How, how do you make money on Marlon Moraes when you're yeah, paying yeah. him the amount of – I mean, like, like I had to laugh. Everyone's like, well, it's time for people to show Marlon Moraes some money. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. The guy in his previous two fights made $140,000, 160000 Go find me a UFC 135 or that makes that kind of money
1: yeah there's it, it's not the money maybe not Dominic
0: there. Cruz yeah I mean he's not
1: the only guys in the UFC are making that kind of money were guys that that fought for the title and won it and and negotiated a great contract after that and which in the 135 division is is only the champ right now they haven't you know there's not he's not a Jose Aldo he didn't get he didn't, wasn't able to negotiate a big deal you know there's Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar who are former champs who are able to negotiate those kind of deals in the UFC um, he's not going to, you know, I, and I, the thing is without Ali there, Abdelaziz, his manager, I don't know how interested world series of fighter fighting is in retaining him. I mean, they, they probably will want him cause he's their champ and they've spent a lot of time building him up, but his, you know, 180,000, 100, if they have to pay him $200,000 a fight, if that's what he's asked for. I mean, on the scheme compared to boxing, that's not a huge payday for a top fighter. But for we'll say the fighting that draws 150 thousand watch them on TV on NBC, uh, you know, and, and gets small gates. That's a huge chunk of their payroll. That's I mean he when he when I, I think I looked at one of the reported payouts. I think he was like you know over half
0: the payroll on yeah, fights he's on. The problem is when he's fighting in a rec center. How do you make money? When you're paying yeah, them that but, kind of money, I mean that's I mean that's ultimate thing is is everyone's got to be making money. I mean the fighters got to make money, but also promotions got to make money. And you know I mean look you, you look at the fires who are making the most money. They all have one thing in common, you know, and that's Ali uh, Abdelaziz being their yeah, yeah. yeah
1: well yeah that's in, in World Series of Fighting that's true. I mean that's hey good for him. He got all those fighters good deals. Right? The but that's Abdelaziz, But is let's that, be honest about that,
0: that, that's the regional MMA. You know, when you look at you know all these regional MMA promotions, they're you know, pretty much all of them are either you know run by a manager or you know a managers a major consultant, and, and yeah. really it's a way for a manager to basically develop his fighters to get a, to work a, their way to getting into the UFCs and, and the Bellators of the world. Yeah,
1: I mean, we're management in 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 you and uh, MMA is so different than boxing, partly because there's no. There's no competition at the, the top level because there's so much competition in box, boxing amongst the viable. There's like 10, 12 viable major promoters in North America and England uh, in boxing, right? So they're, they're all yeah. competing for guys. And MMA, it's you know for top pay, it's good the next year down, it's Bellator, and maybe after that, World's we'll just fight, and that's it. And they're not really competing with each other
0: because so managers only
1: money basically to the promotion. In boxing you wouldn't uh you wouldn't you wouldn't have to worry about managing involved guys. Because
0: so many promoters would be after your fighter chopping left and right. And that's the I mean that's the sad that's the I don't know how to fix that either. I mean I didn't know all I actually supposed to fix that, we'll see but I'm sure. You know. I guess that's the
1: trade-off for promoters. They ask themselves, would they either be promoter managers, or, or would they either be just managers dealing with signed with guys that could potentially make a lot more with more competition than the top promoters?
0: Yeah. It's it's it's. You and, and I'm sure there's a lot of managers out there that are, are going to kind of, kind of wait to see how kind of all this does unfold. But it's a very interesting time in, in the MMA. Uh, business side of the industry. But, John, I really do appreciate you filling in for Sam this week, giving your your unique insight into it. Of course, everyone can follow John on Twitter at Hey Face. You can check out all of his stuff, BloodyElbow.com, and, of course, uh, the Show Money uh, video podcast that he does. John, man, I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk soon, man. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Crushell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.